Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny the Gentile Profita. And I have a very special episode for you guys today. I kind of teased this on the last one, I think. Um, I am bringing back my better half, Johnny the Jew, for a blast from the past. The old Jew and Gentile are back together today. We are going to talk mainly about the whole uh, Israel-Palestine thing, just because I haven't really talked about it much And it seems to be kind of a big news story these days. So we're going to get his perspective on all of that. And um, hopefully it'll it'll make for a pretty good show. Before I bring him on, just a couple of house cleaning things. The um, we had some issues with the um, the happy hour on Friday. And so I apologize for any of you guys that could not get into that. We did end up having just kind of a. Um, we opened up one of the old rooms. So I couldn't get a, a room opened up and it was, it was really bugging me. I don't know. They changed one thing. This used to be idiot proof. And uh, the reason I knew it was idiot proof was because I could do it. You know, you just pull up the, the messenger thing. There was a picture of a video camera. You click on it. It says, it says you want to create a room. Yes. You create it. It gives you a link. I send the link out. It's pretty easy. Uh, that was gone all of a sudden, and I couldn't figure out how to do it for about 15 minutes. And um, that's when I thought I was going to be able to figure this out. And then, um, so what, what I ended up doing was having to download the um, the app, the Messenger app, onto my computer. And that gave me the icon that I was looking for. But every time I tried to create a room, it said I couldn't do that right now for whatever reason. Try again later. And I tried like 50 fucking times. So... I don't know what the hell was going on. I'm going to try to figure something else out for Friday. But what we're going to do to make up for that is do it this Friday. So we're going to do a happy hour this Friday off schedule as a makeup for the last one. And then we're going to have another one next Friday. And then we will resume our normal biweekly schedule. And I, I am just really sorry because I know we had some we had some new members that really wanted to get in and I, I couldn't get I couldn't get a link. We ended up opening an old room. And so, you know, five or six of us could still get together who was ever in that room, I guess, when we did it a couple of weeks ago. I don't like I said, I don't know how any of this shit works. Um, anyway, it, we still had a lot of fun, did a lot of uh, drinking and shooting the breeze. So that was cool. I had a wonderful weekend. I hope you guys did, too. Man, did I have a good weekend. Just a lot of fun. A lot of uh, jet skiing and partying and just doesn't get much better than that. 
I think that might be all I have to report. Um, yeah. So I, I think without further ado, I can bring back Johnny the Jew Mandel from the Jew and the Gentile days. It's been, man, it's been probably over a year since we've had him on the podcast. Um, maybe, God, has it been two years? I, I can't remember, dude. I think it's been two years. <laughs> or not, maybe not two years, but a year and a half or something like that. It's been a really long time. And it's been a while since I've actually seen him. The last time I saw him was sometime last year, I think when I was briefly back in Chicago. So I am very excited to bring on Johnny the Jew. What's going on, man? How you doing? Thanks, Johnny Pro. Uh, not much, just uh, enjoying time in Florida. And uh, yeah, just kind of enjoying the weather down here rather than the, the crappy 50s Chicago weather. Yeah, I've, so I've been reunited with my better half. For those of you um, new listeners to the show, me and uh, Johnny over there used to do an episode at least, yeah, pretty much every week that it was like a version of this show. It was the the, the Jew and the Gentile spinoff. And um, for whatever reason, that's no longer going on. And we haven't talked in a while. When was the last time we saw each other? It was back like in September when I was in Chicago, right? Well, yeah, and I would sort of, say that's because you kind of hightailed it out to Mexico and haven't been seen since. So that is, I didn't go anywhere. (laughs) That is fair. Um, But I did give you an invite. You have a standing invitation to come shoot down over here. And uh, surprisingly, that's true. That's true. I I probably will take you up on that. (laughs) Well, so what have you, I I think I will probably take you up on that. Yeah, you should do it soon. Well, you know, the summer months here are going to be pretty hot and um, a little bit of rain in June, July, and August, September. So I don't know if that's up your alley or not, but you're down in Florida right now. It's going to be hot and hot and sweaty over there too, right? Yeah. Johnny, you and I are from Chicago. You know, we'll take a hot summer day over a, a freezing winter day any day. All right. Uh, I am so done with that Chicago shit, man. I can't. And just every time I read something about it or they make the news, they're just it sounds like they're making that city even more unpleasant than it was to begin with. And I have no regrets not being there. And if I ever have to go back, hopefully it will be short lived. So uh, what's been going on with you since the the Jew and the Gentile days? Tell the uh, tell the audience. Yeah, been been uh, been in startup land. So I've got a startup in, in cybersecurity. Um, I've been working on that for about a year and uh, that's going really well. It's been a fun, it's been fun. It's been a blast. Um, Political views evolving as always. So uh, I know this show, we're we're just going to talk about Israel, Palestine, but uh, yeah, it's been, it's been fun just both in startup land and also sort of the evolving political views. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, that's the main reason I brought you on. You're my, you're my resident Jew expert. So, so I figured I'd pick your brain a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. We had a good episode a while ago where we, we talked about the uh, Israel-Palestine issue, but yeah, as you know, the, the wife is from Israel and you spent, uh, you came over for a wedding, which was a blast. So you spent some time in the Holy Land as well. That was, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And um I did have some pretty interesting altercations with a lot of the Jewish folk around there. <laughs> some of them were unpleasant. 
some of them were very pleasant, but I, I did get a dose of some of that, um, that attitude that, that a lot of people seem to uh, not take too kindly to. Well, I, I live with someone with that, uh, with the attitude. So no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Hen's awesome. So uh, yeah. How's she doing? Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a stressful country. So, I mean, it's, it's stressful overall. We'll, we'll get into it. Um, it's, uh, it's overall very stressful country. So that, that creates a lot of sort of uh, stress overall and a, a way of life that a lot of Americans aren't used and not laid back whatsoever. Yeah. But you, you mentioned that your um, your political views have been evolving. Where would you say you are politically? How would you label yourself? Well, I think, you know, it's funny. When we first started doing the show, I, I was like a little bit more of the traditional pro, uh, progressive angle. And you were pretty much the, you know, kind of a little bit more traditional conservative angle. Um, we both kind of rag on both political parties. I think, you know, one of the things that, I've really come to appreciate our middle of the road opinions, right? Like not taking an extreme on any one side. And, and I think you see that throughout the political spectrum today, like any issue, I feel like the extremes kind of went out and um, actually Rogan did talk about that with, uh, with someone a few weeks ago, it might've been, might've been Dave Smith or, or someone else, but um, so I guess lately I've just on any issue, really try to see both sides and um, you know, it's nice to have a libertarian slant, but it's also nice to have, you know, slants kind of a, across the political, political spectrum too. Has the whole COVID pandemic thing had an effect on your political beliefs at all? Uh, I actually think that that's probably where I, I, I was most grounded in the middle of the road. Like I would say you know, you could always look at a variety of opinions and, and again, no opinion was, was absolutely correct, but you could see the point from a lot of people, uh, at least from my perspective. Um, I, I feel like extremes are kind of dangerous and, you know, maybe don't represent what's, what's really going on. So I mean, we talk about every COVID issue that you want, but, you know, at this point I might just be uh, more apt to kind of see you know, the perspective of the person giving the opinion. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've, um, I, I've talked so much about COVID already. That's not, um, it's not really why I wanted to have you on the, the real reason is because of all this shit going on in your, uh, your neck of the woods over there. When was the last time you were in, uh, Israel? The last time we were in Israel was about a year and a half ago, January. So oh, it's been that long. Well, I guess COVID. COVID, yeah. 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 It was really hard hard to visit the country. I mean, it was hard to travel in general. Um, and then Israel specifically, it was a little bit harder because they were on a little bit more lockdown. They kind of followed a little bit more of the Europe model versus I think the U.S. model, which was a little bit less tight um, than, than some other countries in Europe. Uh, and, and so they were more to follow that. And, you know, Hen's been communicating with her family every day. So, I kind of have a good poll. So I video chatted with a few of her family members just on my own as well. So um, I'm getting a good sense of what's going on there. And what is the, um, what's the word on the ground from your sources over there? Yeah. I mean, 
this happens every six or seven years. Uh, tons of rockets being fired into the country from Gaza. There's been some internal unrest, but you know, a lot of countries have internal unrest. You could basically say the U.S. had a lot of internal unrest for you know eight or nine months, and then it kind of just fell by the wayside for the most part. Um, so there's been a little bit of internal unrest, but you know, definitely the rockets from Gaza are, are the scary thing. Not even as far as like number of casualties, but as far as like shock and awe, you know, that's always the thing that is going to make the news or kind of stay in your collective mind. Is like you have, you have rockets being fired at you. Did, did some of them hit Tel Aviv? Did I hear that correctly? Uh, I think some have landed kind of throughout the country and, and there's definitely been casualties and destruction on the, on the Israeli side, but you know, it's nothing, nothing more than maybe one or two that, that gets through. Okay. And so um, I want you to break this down so that even I can understand this after the thousands of brain cells I've killed down here in Mexico. Why are they launching rockets at each other? What the hell is going on? Why can't the, uh, the uh, Israelis and the Palestinians get along? Yeah. I mean, so as you know, uh, and, and I feel like as a libertarian, you really appreciate this. This conflict goes back to 1948, right? With the creation of the state of Israel. So before 1948, it was British mandate Palestine. The British basically control all the Middle East. Um, and before that, it was the Ottoman Empire, and they controlled all the Middle East. Now, at that time, before Israel was created in 1948, there were Jewish populations, there were Arab populations living throughout that land, okay? Then, post-World War II, post-Holocaust, there was this great momentum by kind of Jewish groups living in that area, also uh, kind of throughout the world to say, all right, you know, we need a country of our own. And so they declared a country in 1948 and the British were just kind of like, sure, like, you know, we're, we have our own problems, so we're not going to really, you know, deal with this, this issue anymore. And so what happens is when you kind of draw these lines with existing population, Populations, you had a lot of internal strife. You had a lot of, of war that happened between the newly created state and the surrounding neighbors who were like, you can't just create a state out of nothing. And ultimately what happened was there were tons of Jewish populations living throughout the Middle East, in Iraq, in Turkey, in Syria, in Iran, all these different, in Egypt, all these countries had Jewish populations. And in fact, Penn's own grandparents were born in Iraq and were Jewish, and Jews lived in, in harmony throughout these, these Middle Eastern countries. So what happened was with the creation of the state of Israel, these Jewish populations started getting persecuted because of the state of Israel, and a lot of the Arab countries around there didn't like it. And so there was this huge migration of Jews that left these Arab countries, a lot of times as kind of refugees uh, or in the middle of the night sort of thing. And that is what sort of created uh, a momentum for the state of, of Israel. And so that's kind of where this all started. Um, I'm not going to get into all the specifics of things that happened along the way. But ultimately, what ended up happening was um, you had two territories, the West Bank and Gaza, that ended up with uh, large Arab populations 
that were kind of in flux because previously they had been controlled by Egypt or by Jordan, but then through a series of wars, Israel came to claim this territory as their own. And, and so um, the final status as to were these Arab populations part of Jordan or Egypt or should they have their own country? Or are they part of Israel? That's kind of been up in the air now for like 40 or 50 years. So in other words, this entire thing was a government man, a government made problem where a bunch of bureaucrats got together, <laughs> arbitrarily drew lines on a map without consideration to the local population or the conflicts that may arise. And um, as a result, thousands of people have been suffering for the last 50 years. Yeah, I'm going to allow that to fit into your libertarian view, uh, worldview, right? It's, it's not, it's it's not incorrect at all. And you know, now we're kind of in the situation like, okay, so what do we do next? So basically, you have the Gaza Strip, which is a nice piece of land right between Israel and Egypt. It's right on the Mediterranean Sea, so it's it's really this beautiful piece of land. Uh, Jews did live there up until about 2005. But then at that point, Israel's like, okay, we're pulling out and we're going to let sort of the local population govern themselves. Uh, Hamas, which is kind of a terrorist organization, kind of a, um, you know, the local government that probably depends on your perspective as to what you, you label them. They control the Gaza Strip, but Israel has not fully pulled back and still kind of, um, it, you know, have control over that land. Uh, and then the West Bank, which is uh, just to the east of Jerusalem and just to the east of Israel and to the west of Jordan. It's a, it's a big piece of land in between the two. Um, it hasn't kind of fully pulled back and said, you know, we're giving this up to its own country. And, and so... Is there anything particularly special about the Gaza Strip, or like strategically, or is it just that it's a nice piece of land? Like, why is it that area that's so that, that everybody's fighting over? Yeah. So the biggest issue is you do have a group of Israelis that probably are like, we don't want to give up any land, right? Like no more giving up land. We're going to, you know, this is our land. Um, and they just kind of kick the can down the road as far as what do we do with the local populations that live there, right? So that that is one kind of interest group. That's probably not the main interest group. There's another interest group that says, well, we'd be okay with having those uh, local populations have their own country, right? A lot of times it's called a two-state solution, right? One country is Israel. The other is the West Bank and Gaza, either, you know, its own country or you know, maybe two separate countries. The biggest reason either um, created or in actuality true is that, you know, it's the stated purpose of Hamas to say, well, we want to just, we want to basically destroy the, the country of Israel. We want to push all the Jews into the sea. Right. And, and that's our, our stated goal. So Israel's kind of sitting back and we're like, okay, well, why would we just give a country to a group of people, really a government, that is stated goal is to destroy us and take away our, our land from us and take away our country? 
um, that would be a really stupid thing to do because now they can actually have a country that allows them to build up the ability to do that. So that probably is like the biggest impasse to, you know, why that Gaza can't just be its own country on its own. And so, and so you, so you have these, I mean, you have these groups that are like, okay, well, the people of Gaza basically with live within Israel's borders, but they don't have the right to vote. Right. They don't have the same rights as Israelis. They're, they're basically like in, in flux. And so you have a lot of politicians in America or whatever being like free Palestine and you know, why, you know, why don't they have their own country and, and, Israel's kind of operating as as a, a as a suitable apartheid country, although I don't agree with that. Um, but but that's that's their main contention. They're saying, and on top of that, if they send rockets into Israel, it's only because you know they they have a right to you know defend themselves or protect themselves, or um, you know, they live under this occupation. So because they live under the occupation, the fact that they're firing rockets into Israel, you know, should be taken as with a grain of salt or not, not be taken just like if Mexico fired fire rockets at the U S. And, and so where do you sort of fall on all this? Like, what do you, what do you think the, the solution is like, what do you want the U S to do? If anything, I mean, I don't think the U S can do a whole lot. And, and it, I mean, at this point, <clears throat> You know, I think we can both agree U.S. staying out of other countries' affairs probably is is for the best uh, for, like, a, a number of reasons. It's kind of an interesting thing because if Gaza and these countries did have their own country, right, and then they started firing rockets into Israel, Israel would actually have probably a much freer hand to defend itself or to fire back uh, almost without reserve, right? Now they can't do that because they come under all sorts of international pressure um, as far as how hard they fire back because they can fire back basically as hard as they want, right? It's, it's very mismatched as far as the military. So in a lot of ways, if there was a, a country where Gaza is, and they fired a bunch of rockets in Israel, Israel could just have a free hand to defend itself uh, without as much international pressure. At the same time, I do kind of have to be cognizant of, okay, but now you have a country that could build up its, you know, military and build up its, you know, kind of offensive forces with a little bit more of a free hand. So that's a tricky issue. I would say you have to somehow create economic stability to where there's a lot more disincentive for Gaza to fire rockets into Israel um, because they're much more at risk of, you know, harming their own economic interests when, when Israel basically defends itself and fires back. Well, there, there is that old saying, you know, when, when goods cross borders, armies don't, but you know, like, so if, you know, if you were to create, you know, a, a state there for the Palestinians, would, would that alleviate their, uh, all of their grief? Or they, they want the state to be where, you know, where Israel is right now. They're not going to settle for anything less. Well, I mean, that's what their leaders kind of talk about. 
I think you and I would both agree that um, through economic progress, you know, a lot of kind of what you want and, and what happens in your country, you know, goals get realigned. So I think if a country that was there had economic progress over time, probably goals would be realigned, right? It wouldn't be about kicking out neighbors. It would be more about like, hey, how can we, how can we build up our economy? How can we you know, benefit from, from things like mutual trade and that sort of thing? So, you know, a lot of the, a lot of like the mindset of what goes on is a war mindset. Like we've been at war for 40 or 50 years. And so the leaders of those countries, their goals are all about like, how do we capture territory? You know, how do we create war with this country? Um, you haven't had a generation that basically is focused on economic progress. Well, you know, it also seems to me as an outside observer that there's a lot of just animosity and prejudice, you know, sort of going both ways. Like, um, it, it's funny, I actually had dinner with a, a group of friends here, I think it was last week. And there just happened to be um, a guy from Jordan there and a, a Palestinian guy. And, you know, I started talking to him about the whole thing. And he would tell me like that Jewish people's attitude would completely change toward him once they found out that he was a Palestinian. Like he would pretend to be Jewish. And, um, and then like, after they struck up a friendship, he'd be like, Hey, you know, like, just so you know, I'm actually a Palestinian. And that's like it, it you know, for certain people, it's like a, a line in the sand. And I wonder how long it would take for that to sort of, for what you're talking about with like an economic incentive for that to blow over, if it could be like a generation or if it's going to take even longer than that. Oh, I think those things blow over real quickly. I mean, you have pressure cooker, right? It's like, you know, Israel is a pretty strong country, but 20 years ago, it was not like startup nation, right? I mean, it was still a relatively poor country. It was still relatively developing. And so, you know, like Hen, who's 30, she grew up in the 90s. You know, she grew up with suicide bombers on buses. She grew up with, you know, different Arab countries still basically, you know, wanting to potentially go to war with Israel. Now that Israel has developed into a really strong country with all this type of technology and this like amazing military and, you know, they're starting to have agreements with like Dubai and, you know, kind of covertly with Saudi Arabia. A lot of those fears are, are kind of melting away. And, you know, the last bridge would be with the Palestinian population. But a great example of this, Johnny, is that within Israel, there is a significant Arab population, Arab Muslim population. It's like 20% of uh, the population that are Israeli citizens, right? And again, we're talking about people whose families had been there prior to 1948 to the state of Israel forming. Those people live in in relative harmony and have good lives within Israel. They don't have this animosity towards Israelis. Oh, we want to kick all the Jews out or we want to send the Jews in the, to, to the sea. And the local Jewish population also doesn't have, I mean, they kind of look at the local Arab population as a little bit differently because they don't really think that those are the types that want to 
kill them and do suicide bombing because again, there there's economic prosperity on both sides and, you know, there's economic benefits on both sides. So I think the economic incentives have the ability to just melt things away very, very quickly, but you also have to have both sides that want to pursue kind of those, those economic benefits with each other. Well, that is one of the beautiful things about the free market is like all of those prejudices, even if you have them, it, it goes out the window immediately because it's a, it's one of those win-win situations. Um, we, we were talking about Dave Smith earlier before we started recording. I think he would always use this example. Like he's a Jewish guy in New York and he'll like go out in the street and put his hand in the air and, you know, like some Arab guy in a cab will come pick him up and like, there, there's no problem there. He takes him to where he's going to be, you know, needs to go. He says, thank you. The other guy says, thank you. You exchange some money and they both go home to their families or whatever. And everybody's better off. And then I, uh, I was also reminded of the, um, was it the curb your enthusiasm? Was that the, the Palestinian chicken place? Where, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where, where Larry David loves the chicken. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, th- there could be something to that. What, so what do you think is um, is getting in the way of the economic development and like sort of just letting the free market solve these? Look, I, one, one issue that you have to really understand, even as like a Jewish American, there's one thing that all collective Jews around the world, right? Like I think there's maybe 12 million Jews in the world. Uh, maybe a little bit more depending on like how, you know, how someone counts themselves, uh, especially through like a generation of assimilation. But there's one thing that all Jews collectively have in their mind, which is, you know, less than a hundred years ago, there was a very successful campaign to wipe Jews off the face of the earth. Right. And so, you know, my grandparents had relatives that, that died in the Holocaust. Right. And that, sort of con that that effort is very much in in every jewish person in the world's mind right as to oh shit like this almost happened and so you know everything a a kind of wide policy has that in mind so that, that that is one thing that is always terrified jews of like hey you know is the next person that tries to do this going to finish the job so that makes anything that Israel does very conservative, very slow moving on this issue specifically. Um, and it's tough, man. I mean, you've got, uh, as far as religion, you have a billion Muslims in the world and you've got, you know, a fraction of that being Jewish. And so, you know, that is always going to weigh on, on sort of every decision that Israel makes. Yeah. And you know, there, there's something about these, religious problems that I got like it it seems discouraging to me just sort of watching all this happen like they've just been fighting forever and they all have like these staunch religious beliefs that I personally don't really um I don't really understand having that that sort of faith I don't you know uh disparage them for for it or whatever but it just seems like man as long as they're they have these religious um, you know, fanatics, it's going to be really hard to, uh, to sort of fix this. Yeah. Part of it is try, I mean, humans are, are tribal, right? So it's just, it's tribalism. And, um, 
you know, I, I think like you said, like I believe, I, I think economic uh, interests kind of break down that tribalism, right? Economic benefits break down that tribalism. So I think that's the best bet going forward. I just don't know how you get to the point of stability where you can have sort of that economic progress because a lot of interests don't want it to happen. So that's, that's the other thing you're fighting against. Let's take a quick second and thank one of our other sponsors for today's show, and that is Zipix Toothpicks. Uh, first, I'm hawking caffeine. Now I'm hawking nicotine. These are nicotine-infused toothpicks, and they are also flavored. So it, it's the best of both worlds. You get a delicious-tasting toothpick that also can curb that nicotine craving. It is a great smokeless alternative to cigarettes. It's a great alternative to all the other over-the-counter nicotine alternatives. It's cheaper than all of those. It's uh, less cumbersome than a lot of them. I mean, it's just a toothpick. You can pop it into your mouth anywhere you want. There's no mess. You can take as much nicotine out of it as you want. You can save it for later if you don't need all the nicotine that's in the toothpick. You can do it indoors. You can do it outdoors. You can do it without anybody knowing that you're actually getting a nicotine fix so go to zippixtoothpicks.com, use promo code FICTION for 10% off your order. He's got six different flavors. You can get the ultimate flavor pack if you want to try them all. If you're a smoker or you uh, you chew tobacco or you're on the nicotine gum or the patch or something like that, try out these toothpicks as a, an alternative to what you're already doing. You won't be sorry. So make sure you go to zippixtoothpicks.com. That's Z-I-P-P-I-X toothpicks.com. Order yourself a bunch of these nicotine-infused flavored toothpicks so that you have the perfect alternative to get you that nicotine fix that you need from time to time. Zippixtoothpicks.com, promo code FICTION. And, and what, what sort of interests are you talking about? Are they, are they like bureaucratic interests? Yeah, I mean... You know, you talk about there's a lot of different interest groups and a lot of, you know, groups, just some people don't want there to be a separate uh, Arab state there. You know, some Arabs don't want there to be a Jewish state there. Right. And then you've got sort of everything in between. And so the people that are most firmly against that won't want to see economic interest develop because they know that an economic interest develop, you know, more and more you're going to have you know, some sort of, of solution that leads to peace. Should we just move Israel someplace else? Uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny. Um, if you go back like a hundred plus years ago, 150 years ago, sort of the, the founder of the concept of Zionism, Theodore Herzl, Basically, he was a European Jew, and he kind of recognized that Jews had been persecuted for hundreds of years or even century, or uh, even thousands of years, millennia. And he had the idea of, okay, you know, where could we actually establish our own state? And I think one of the, his leading ideas, uh, besides the Middle East, was, was uh, within the country of Uganda, uh, which, which kind of is just funny, but you know, things uh, worked out the way they did that it's in, in the Middle East. But I think, I think uh, I remember like some comedian was talking about um, like putting them just somewhere in Canada. I forget who this was. And I can't remember if it was like a stand-up routine or if it was a podcast that I was listening to. It was like, I just throw them somewhere up there in Canada. It'll take them a couple of years to figure out that they're even there. 
And then you're just the most- Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of interesting. Like, I think, I don't know how much you talk about this show, but there's this kind of, there's this thinking of very like tech-minded libertarianism, like almost tech-minded progressivism that, that, mirror, that really takes a lot of libertarian ideas into account. And they're like, we want to move to a world where place doesn't matter, right? You can basically get internet anywhere in the world, right? Which kind of Elon Musk is working with. And as long as you can do work from anywhere in the world, place will matter a lot less. So um, that, that is kind of an interesting way of thinking. And, and in some ways you're kind of living it with being in Mexico, like you're working for Mexico, place doesn't really matter to you. And, and you can really be anywhere as long as the weather's good and it's, uh, it's cheap enough. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I don't feel any particular strong ties to, to Chicago or something like that. And even to the U S you know, I like the idea of America. I just hate the fucking government. <laughs> so it's like, um, it really wouldn't bother me if I, you know, re- renounce my citizenship or something like that. Uh, except that now they charge you for the, that form that used to be free. It's like 2,500 bucks or something. And uh, they, they make it a big pain in the ass, but. <laughs> like, I, will, I, I will tell you what's, what's kind of interesting is where I'm down in Florida, there's a lot of Colombians. It's really interesting to hear talk very unsafe society. Like people can kidnap you, can ransom you and people get away with it just because there, there's not very strong. Um, there's not a strong system in place. Like there's too many offs. There's too many uh, ways that people can just get away with doing that. Where And you know, someone else from, from Haiti said the same thing. Like there's a lot of kidnappings that go on in Haiti and it, you know, it really doesn't happen in the, in, in the U S just because, People wouldn't get away with it. Like the the civil institutions are strong enough that you know it's hard to get away with it. And I know there's a lot of other problems with the U.S. Like, uh, don't get me wrong, but uh, it is kind of some of those those things that we we take for granted. Um, and we you know we we spend a lot of time ragging on the government, but there's some you know civil institutions that that are positive. Yeah, I don't, dude. I don't know if I'm just like shooting bullets in your your stomach right now. <laughs> Oh man, that's probably a discussion for another podcast. But yeah, uh, what do you so? What do you think of what the the U.S. government has been doing with respect to Israel? Um, you can go back to you know prior administrations if you want, or the Biden administration. Just the the relationship we have, our our um, the our interference in in these types of situations, things like that. I'd say, I mean, the most sort of um, practical way that the U.S. I mean, I, I don't think the U.S. gets involved, and it hasn't really gotten involved since probably Clinton from the Clinton administration when it took a more active role. And, and the world was a little bit different. You know, the, the U.S. was kind of like out front with these agreements and, and more involved in these things. I, I feel like Iraq and Afghanistan kind of took the U.S. out of, out of doing this stuff for a long time, probably rightfully so. So I'd say the most practical way the U.S. gets involved is they provide uh, a really large military, um, basically, what, what's the word, like spend or, or 
they they provide aid to Israel in the form of, of military spend. I think it's a really large amount. It's like $4 billion a year. So it's probably one of the, the biggest that we spend. Other than that, I wouldn't say that, that right now the U.S. gets too involved. I think Biden said, hey, Israel's got a right to defend itself. So, um, but I think the U.S. is really getting, uh, taking active involvement. And as far as the U.S. spending money, I mean, what's the U.S. military spend per year, Johnny? At least $800 billion. It might be nine now. Yeah, I think it's 800, like the floor. And, you know, I don't think it's going to go down. Um, so I'd say probably U.S. military spend overall is a big problem. Um, whether or not, you know, aid to Israel would be the first to get caught or actually, you know, it's it's more of a benefit than other things we spend on. Um, you know, that remains to be seen. But I personally would love to see our military spend just get drastically reduced. Uh, politically, though, as you know, it's it's a, a really challenging topic. Yeah, well, you know, it's weird because even politically, the last, like, what, three or four presidents have run on either ending the longest wars in American history or going back to, like, George W. Bush. He said he wasn't going to use the the military to nation build. And w- once we started these, these wars and, the, you know, the the majority of American people kind of figured out that they lied us into these fucking bullshit wars. It's very popular. And, you know, Ron Paul had the the most uh, support from active duty military in 2008 and 2012, if I remember correctly. And his whole stance was end these illegal immoral wars immediately and um, stop using our military, you know, stop trying to police the world. So I don't think that, at least as far as the the American people are concerned, that it's a it's a big political issue anymore. Like it, you know, ending these wars is becoming more and more popular, even with you know conservative Republicans. Um, the military industrial complex, on the other hand, you know Raytheon and all these fucking companies that are making hundreds of billions of dollars off of bombing democracy into every fucking sandbox on the other side of the world. That's a that's a completely different story. And it seems like no matter who gets in there, um, you know, Republican, Democrat, you know, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, they both said that they wanted to do this shit. And then there's a, there's a lot of pressure on them, apparently, that n- nobody seems to be able to stand up to to actually follow through on any of this. Yeah, well, and, and I think we both agree it's like there's different levels, right? Two full-blown wars like Iraq, Afghanistan. I mean, my God, I hope, I hope we don't see it one of those in our lifetime because those are just like beyond devastating um from like a human lives perspective uh financial perspective like you know you want to talk about standing in the world right um it takes away from, from doing cool things like like economic trade and and development but i think the reason it's political is i think a lot of people are sort of anti-war uh, right now because of what's happened. But I don't think you could announce the American people, hey, I don't want to spend $800 billion on the military more. I want to spend, you know, $200 billion. We don't need a standing army of, you know, God only knows how many people it is. We, we need a, a very small standing army. I think that's the things that are politically will take a long time and a big cultural shift to, uh, to, to tamper down. 
Yeah, there, there might be something to that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of energy to bring the troops home and end the, the wars that we're currently in. But yeah, I don't know how the uh, the right would feel about not being like, you know, having like a, whatever it is, 150 military bases around the world and everything like that, you know. Um, personally, I would like to see our um, our national defense actually be defense instead of offense and yeah, I mean, we spend, it's like, you know, the next 20 countries combined or something, we spend more than them on all this shit. And it's just, it, it it's money we don't have. That's, you asked me what I've been talking about on previous episodes. It's a lot of it's that, you know, just we were fucking bankrupt. It, it's not even funny anymore how, how much money we're spending that we don't have. And, it, and it's on things that, you know, all this stuff, I, I wonder how many Americans could find Gaza on a map. Like this stuff just doesn't matter to a lot of us. Um, and if you don't turn on CNN or something, it, it's not going to affect their lives. Like why should we be spending hundreds of billions of dollars every year doing all this stuff when we have, especially over the last year, plenty of problems at home that we could be trying to use this government apparatus to solve, even though I think that is misguided as well. Do you think, I mean, do you think a proposal like, you know, going down to a standing army of, you know, a much smaller amount, like 100,000 troops, would, is, is, uh, would you advocate for that? Or is that just so outside what could ever happen in this country that it's not even worth thinking about? You just mean like our entire military would only be 100,000 troops? Yeah, something like, you know, maybe have a, a strong National Guard. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I am fine with any move in that sort of direction. But I, I as you know, I'm a little more radical on this front than than most people. Yeah. I think that would make a lot of statists uh, on, the, on the right hand side of the political spectrum very uncomfortable. Um, they like having that big military. They like to sort of, you know, beat their chest, America, all, all that shit. So. Um, it, it's but, also jobs for a lot of people. I mean, I mean that, that's what it comes down to, right? Like a lot of active soldiers, it's a lot of jobs. Yeah, it's a lot of jobs. And it's, I mean, it, it's big money for all of these weapons companies and, and things like that. Um, but at the same time, it's a lot of problems that politicians, you know, they're hemming and hawing over, you know, stuff at the VA. It's like, all right, well, I could solve a lot of VA problems. I could just stop making disabled veterans. <laughs> Like stop sending them overseas yeah. to get their legs blown off for starters. It's just like, I, I don't know, man. I, I think, I don't know if we could get realistically something that drastic to happen, but if, if we could just end the wars for starters um, that, I mean, yeah. like I, nobody even can articulate what we're trying to do over there anymore with a straight face that doesn't make them just sound absolutely ridiculous. Um, nobody can define think, what, what our goals are. Do you think Uncle Joe's going to bring the troops home? No. Um, if you he, don't think it's going to happen? No, I don't. I, you know, I, I if he was going to do it, what, what was Trump's, was it May 1st was Trump's deadline to, to bring the troops home? And then he extended it to September 11th as like some sort of symbolic celebratory thing so that he can do it on the anniversary of 9-11 or whatever. Dude, first of all, how fucked up is that? If anybody, if, if anything happens over the next six months or whatever it is, four months, um, 
how could you like live with yourself first just to have like some sort of ceremonial thing where you can you know have all the pomp and circumstance and just like this empty like virtue signaling gesture um but yeah did they always find a reason there'll there'll be something that happens right you know a, a couple months from now it it'll be some issue you know when when trump wanted to pull out of out of syria it was the kurds all of a sudden we're like everybody was so concerned about the Kurds, right? And just like, they'll, they'll come up with something, the corporate press will just go gangbusters with it. And it's like, ah, oh, well, we can't do it now because, you know, think of the vacuum that will happen and like all the blood that will be on our hands and, and things like that. You know, they'll just, they'll just bullshit their way, kick the can down the road again. And I, <laughs> I just have no faith in him bringing these troops home. If he does, I will have to give him a lot of credit, um, credit where credit is due, but I just don't see it happening. Not, not from Joe Biden. Uh, and then the other thing, I mean, you know, the other thing about the Afghanistan thing, I mean, look, everyone who listens to your podcast has to think about this, right. And has to answer this question. There are people over there that we supported, right. In the fight against the Taliban or whatever it is. And when we pull out, like, they're going to be chowder for those guys. So, like, how do you how do you handle that? Or do you just say there's nothing we can do and there's nothing we should do? I mean, that that's the, that's the part that's hardest for me to come to terms with. It's easy to make that decision, like, sitting here doing that pot, this podcast, right? Oh, let's just bring the troops home. But, like, I mean, there are people over there that they're going to be made the – they're going to be punished for, you know, basically trying to – support the U.S. goal of democracy and freedom and yada, yada, yada. Maybe. I mean, the, the same people that have been threatening us with that for the last like 15 years or whatever it is, were the same ones that yeah. said, you know, this was going to be a cakewalk. Uh, we'll pay for it and oil and like all that, all that shit that they've been wrong about everything, every step of the way. So um, I, I like what, what Ron Paul said. He's like, we just marched in. We just march out. Like, at, at some point, you know, um, us staying there forever is is probably just as bad, if not worse, than what would happen if we just get out of there. And, um, you know, it, it's a shame that we put those people in this situation. Uh, I, that's on the, those war criminal presidents that are now um, just sort of retired and making millions of dollars off of all their uh, corrupt deals with the bankers. But... Uh, you know, that's on them, man. I, I don't know what to say. Like, we we can't just keep doing this in perpetuity. Um, and the, the, the threat of some uh, potential, um, I don't even know, I don't know what you would call it, uh, backlash. Or yeah. whatever. I mean, it's guaranteed right now. So I'll, I'll take the, uh, I'll, I'll take the potential over what I've been seeing happen over the last 20 years. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, I'd love to wrap up and, you know, maybe I'll come on another time. We can talk about crypto and the debt and uh, I mean, everything that's going on. I'd love to, to chat a little bit more about this. I can, I can be your, uh, your Colmes, your Hannity. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I remember that show Hannity and Colmes. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. That guy died. Young. Probably a lot more aligned than we used to be. Yeah. He, he did die. <laughs> Poor Colmes. But, um, do you want to just wrap it or how do you want to? 
Well, I was going to do it a little less awkward than that. Okay. You're a little rusty over there, Johnny the Jew. It's been a, it's been a while. Uh, I didn't know whether to do like this or whatever, but probably. <laughs> well, I, I might have Justin edit all of this out and post. But yeah, uh, yeah, this is fun, man. What do you got? Something going on? You got you got some big plans tonight? What are you doing? Uh, probably do a sushi sushi date night with uh with the wifey. Enjoy this beautiful Florida weather. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, no, I, I thought this was great. It was good to see you. It's been it's been way too long. I'll uh, I'll definitely try to have you back on here and maybe just uh, have one of these Zoom calls off air to uh, shoot the breeze a little bit. Say hi to a uh, hen for me. You got to do something about that hair, man. What the hell is going on over there? What are you going for? I'm, I'm good. I'm going for the samurai. I'm going to go for the samurai bun eventually. Oh, so, you're doing a man bun? Uh, yeah. So I'm almost there. I'm almost back. there. <laughs> All right, man. It was good chatting. Yeah. Take care. All right. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Johnny the Jew back for one last hurrah. I think you can... Um, you could glean from a few things that that he uh, mentioned or, or or talked about during the show, why um, you know sort of why we just decided to um, go our separate ways. It, a lot of it actually had to do with the fact that he was uh, starting his own company, and just he actually mentioned just now that the commute was kind of a pain in the ass for him. You know, it was like thirty minutes each way, but now it's like, hey, if we're just going to turn on the fucking cameras it's a, it's a lot easier so he can come back on anytime. But yeah, we don't, we definitely don't see eye to eye on a lot of issues and it, it does get into some, some fairly interesting discussions. If you go back and listen to the, the older episodes of the Jew and the Gentile, I think that's how I differentiated between them. You know, I would label them like, uh, you know, J and G Jew and the Gentile. Um, and then like the episode name or something, whatever, just so that you knew it was me and him and not just me and my mug ranting and raving about whatever is uh, aggravating me that day. But uh, great guy, great friend. I'm, I'm really glad he came on. Hopefully like that was helpful. I don't know. Like I, I know we have the, the great Scott Horton to sort of really dive into these topics and um, and, and just give you way too much knowledge. To me, I, I find that overwhelming a, a lot. And I, I end up coming away almost like, I, I can't say dumber than when I went in, but it's like, I, I don't even know what I heard. You know, it reminds me of watching, I guess I'll get, get out of here on this, but it reminds me of watching the, the Red Zone channel during football. You know, it's like, I, I would watch that thing all day and it was awesome. You know, there, it was nonstop action. There was never any commercial breaks. At worst, they went to like a field goal or something. And you saw every major score of every game for the entire day. And then at the end of the day, if you ask me like who won what game or what the hell I had just watched, I had no idea. I was just like, I don't know, man. I, I saw so much. I, I can't remember. It's all just like a blur. To me, that's sort of how the the Scott ep, uh, the Scott Horton episodes go, and so I wanted to sort of take a step back from that and sort of break it down Barney style for everybody. So hopefully, um, if I understood what he was talking about, hopefully you guys understood it too. And um, I guess that's that's going to be a wrap. So thanks for listening, everybody. I love each and every one of you guys. Do me a favor. Follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. And oh, 
I, I forgot. Well, I haven't actually done the uh, the beginning of the show yet. I, I record these things uh, separately when I have a guest on, just so they're not sitting around waiting. But maybe I'll mention this at the top of the show as well. But we had some technical difficulties last Friday with the the happy hour thing. I, I think it was initially on my end, and then when I fixed it, I don't know. It was it was on the the stupid Facebook Messenger thing. But they they changed around some some things they move one button around and I'm completely lost. And then once I thought I figured it out, it, it turns out that I didn't, or uh, it turns out that they were having some issues. I don't know. It wouldn't let me start a new meeting anyway. So what we're going to do is we're going to do one this Friday. Uh, I'm going to do another one this Friday to make up for last Friday. And then we're just going to have two back to back and then we'll resume the normal schedule. So if you want to become part of our happy hour group, go to peddlingfictionpodcast.com, click on the support the show link and set up a recurring monthly donation for any denomination that you want. And that will get you in to have cocktails with me and the rest of our crew this Friday, next Friday, and then every other Friday after that. And if you guys can do all that for me, I will be back on what day is it? fucking oh it's friday i mean i will be back on friday with a brand new episode for you and until then you guys know the drill just keep on peddling that so-called fiction 